This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I'm joined by Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing quite well. Excited to kick off the new week. We are uh, recording on Monday, which is a little bit weird for us. We're usually a Tuesday kind of kind of crowd, but a little travel this week. Uh, so today worked out, and our guest was kind enough to... Uh, Handle about forty-four rescheduling, so we, we appreciate <laughs> appreciate his efforts. Awesome. Well, our guest today, I am excited to introduce. It is Blake Howe. He is the regional recruiting manager manager of NIT Building Solutions. Blake, how are you doing today? I'm doing fast, fantastic. I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, reaching out and having me on the show. It's it's uh, going to be fun. Well, Blake, this, um, you know, we, we do have a good time on this podcast. I, I enjoy it because yeah. I think, you know, just about every week we learn something pretty cool. And uh, in doing my, my research about you after, after you and I became acquainted, um, what you do every day is right in my wheelhouse of, of stuff that I like to do uh, and learn about, which is skilled trades placement, recruiting, all that kind of good stuff, um, specifically attracting people into the industries, uh, plural. And uh, my passion is HVAC, but there is also, uh, as you know, a, a whole bevy of trades that are hurting for people. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, appreciate you, you taking time with us a little bit. So why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about you how you wound up at NIT, why you do what you do every day, and what, you know, what, what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, to kind of start things way, way back, um, interestingly enough, I, I grew up in a skilled trades family. Um, my dad was a licensed C20 contractor out here in California. He was actually in the union before that in the IBEW. Um, so I was exposed to that pretty early. Uh, the skilled trades, my uncle was also a C20 out here in um, you know, electrical contractor out here in California. And, you know, growing up in the industry, having, you know, family that that works in the industry, of course, as a kid, what are you going to do? You're going to be working with them on, uh, you know, in the summer times and, and what have you. And then in high school, I was working as that was my job, um, you know, the later part of my high school career. So I grew up in the industry. Um, actually, after college, I worked for a union electrical contractor out here in California um, as a project engineer doing estimating and support to uh, PMs. Um, and as far as after that, I actually uh, went into the fitness industry and spent about 20 years in that industry. And, and it turns out that one of the members that I knew for a long time um, worked for a recruiting company uh, here in town. And uh, she basically um, you know, let me know that there was an opening and I was ready for a change myself. Um, so it was perfect timing. Um, and essentially I started off in the low voltage fire security field. And then about a year after that, I, we switched all operations to specifically in the MEP world. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I was reading, uh, your background and, um, it sounds like we did a lot of the same crap, like running yeah. out <laughs> in your dad's truck to look for something. You 100%. Had, see, you, you said that your dad knew where everything was on the truck. Right. My dad did not. 
My dad was not <laughs> as organized as your dad, apparently. Yeah. Well, you know how it is. It's like, okay, go in the back of the truck. It's on the left-hand side, halfway down underneath this box. And, of course, I'd have to go back and forth a few times saying it's not there. It's not there. And then, you know, he'd, then he'd have to come out. You know, it's so funny because when when I talk to young people and talk to old people both, a lot of people discourage their kids from getting into the trades because they wanted their kids to, to quote, unquote, do better or go yep. to college and not wind up in the blue-collar world. And it's just fascinating to me. Now we've kind of come back full circle to know college isn't for everyone. We're finally, you know, admitting that. And um, these relationships that we had in our youth or, or maybe, you know, you were a kid watching the house across the street from you being built or what have you, you know, you, you reflect back on those early memories and, and mine, like, like yours was, summers and and anytime i was out of school i was at work with my dad I, because yep. I, I really enjoyed it and it was probably the cheapest babysitter they could come up with <laughs> but, yeah um, yeah I, I think that there's a lot of uh a lot of us out there regardless of our age that that participated in what their parents did either by choice or by uh i needed to go there because the kid didn't have anywhere else to go so uh one way or the other, we get exposed. So, well, um, tell us a little bit about um, NIT. What what do you guys do, and, and how do you go about it? Yeah, so uh, we specialize, uh, as discussed, um, in the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing field, and and that is mainly on the contractor side um, and the engineering companies that support our industry. So we work in all facets of the industry um, in terms of the candidates. We don't specialize in one or the other. We kind of have an attitude to where if someone has the right motivation, um, the right goals and career goals that, that they want to grow their career with, and um, obviously they have the, um, you know, the job history and the experience, you know, we're going to work with them. If, if they're your $20 an hour installer in, in Phoenix or they're the CFO of a, you know, $500 million mechanical contractor in California, you know, we're going to work with everybody in between. Um, and kind of our philosophy is, is, you know, really focusing on, on the, the right performance attributes of can, you know, what does this person need to do in the job to be successful? Um, and then really getting down to why they're looking. Um, we really try and stay away from, you know, the tactical moves in terms of, better commute. I want to make a dollar more an hour, um, you know, more so than the strategic. I want to grow my career here. I may not be satisfied with what I'm doing now because I haven't had X, Y, Z. And so I'm open to, you know, conversations about other opportunities. Um, and so how we go about, you know, finding candidates is we use many of the things that companies, you know, like a service logic has to their disposal and anybody else the you know, the indeeds of the world, the LinkedIn's, um, you know, whatever else is on there, monster. I personally don't go on any of the job boards except, you know, on LinkedIn to where I just try and grow my, you know, social media presence. But um, we have a research department behind us that supports us to where we can notify them of, of uh, positions we're working on and then they will filter people to us and then we'll screen them, you know, obviously on, on based on their, you know, the resume and then, you know, moving forward from there. I'm curious to know, and, and you know, this is, I guess, is, is totally unscientific, but it's something that we like to talk about is what do you see out of your applicants 
this day and age as far as their the motivation, what's driving it. Um, you know, is there a big uh, gap in age differences between people who are really wanting to grind and people who are not wanting to grind? I'm, I'm always curious by that, the human element, because, um, you know, our companies are made up of people and our relationships within the companies. Um, and I'm huge on culture. You know, I think that good companies attract good people uh, that have similar desires, wishes, and dreams, however you want to put a unicorn hat on that. But, you know, like attracts like, uh, good and bad, in my opinion. Uh, what what do you see and what is it like the, the census personality right now? What's going on out there? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think overall, uh, if you had to, to give a theme to the, the candidate side, um, is their openness to possibly making a change almost always have nothing to do with money. Um, they're not money driven. Um, it's more about job satisfaction, mental stimulation, challenges, growth potential. You know, a big thing is what, what I see as well on the company side is the candidates not getting um, the promises and the growth that they were, let's say, promised um, or they were that was discussed within the initial interview. You know, hey, we have growth plans for X, Y, Z, but then a year later, they're not following through with, you know, really nurturing that person's career and making sure that they're growing in the right direction. Um, so company culture is huge, you know, um, treatment by, you know, direct supervision and people within the company is big. People nowadays, you know, um, especially in our industry, um, it has a tendency to be a little bit old school and, um, you know, the stuff that worked, you know, when, when I was younger and, and my dad was in the industry, as far as leadership, you know, doesn't work anymore. Um, people don't, you know, respond to, you know, the, let's say just for example, the yelling or any sort of in your face type of tactics. It's, you know, you have to build someone up um, with, with more tact and, you know, really, really pay attention to what their needs are and help them grow uh, as opposed to, you know, a sledgehammer. You know, I keep telling Gabby that and she keeps insisting <laughs> and yelling at me and beating me over the head. So. Oh, I can tell. Yeah, definitely. I can see that about her. Yeah. You know, that, and Blake, that's one thing that, uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people about and, and I, I'm I'm older myself, you know, I'm 58. Um, so I'm interacting with a lot of youth that, you know, um, call it 20 and up. But you, you really, as a leader and a coach and a mentor, you, it's a different deal. And we all know that. Um, your point about our industry being a little bit um, Neanderthal-ish is, is so accurate. Um, yeah. I wish that we could change and evolve a little quicker. Um, I think we we are. I really believe we're picking up speed as more and more boomers, and I'm a boomer, so I can say this without pissing anybody off, <laughs> as my age group is retiring out and we're able to supplant uh, that leadership, that mid-level leadership with younger, uh, more um, non-traditional thinking, I believe we're getting you know, the, the, when I talk to our, our young crowd, we've got 5,500 people or so at our company. Um, 
and obviously, you know, I, I'm segregating uh, trades and admin and and support and all these different things in my head. But, you know, I really do see a, a movement, a youth movement within our our group, you know, some of our newer presidents uh, and our model is we buy a company uh, that's a high performing company and we try to help. We don't ever cut or slash or anything. We're a builder. Yeah. And eventually the people that sold us their business, you know, they reach retirement age. Right. And we've done, and I, I mean, it's no credit to me. It's our, my people I work with have done a tremendous job of building up that next uh, person to take those spots, whether it be CFO, whether it be president role, and specifically the service manager's role. Um, that's a younger group coming in. You know, I, I was talking to one of our presidents last week, and, and Mike's probably 45-ish. Um, so we've got a 20-year runway, potentially, with this gentleman uh, and his peer group that we can really make some some monumental uh, strides toward knocking that old husk off of our industry and kind of bringing it in, into a, 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 a modern, I guess, I don't know the right word, but just updating what we do think, train, how we, how we say stuff. And now I totally, Absolutely. It, you know, my, the people that train me, was like, get your ass in gear, son. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Get your head out or else you're going to get fired. Yeah. You, you can't, know? you know, can't do that nowadays. Yeah, people. Yeah, and and especially in this market, I mean, really, it's not only about who you're hiring, right? It's about getting the next person and building your team, but it's also retaining the people that you have and treating them well so that they don't leave. So you're not having this constant, you know, merry-go-round, and and that that sort of thing gets out within the industry. It's a small world, you know, in any market and and companies, you know, if you gain that reputation that you treat your people X Y Z. It gets around and and I'll be talking with a candidate and I'll talk to him about a few of the clients I have in the area or other companies. And they say, no, you know what? I, I wouldn't want to engage them because I've heard this, um, you know, and, and I always try and encourage someone to, you know, go see for themselves unless they've, you know, uh, personally experienced it. Um, but, you know, make a judgment then. But, yeah, the, the you just can't do what you did before because people have too many options. You know, and and it's a candidate scarcity market. Um, you know, companies can't afford to treat people in a way that's going to have them be open to leaving because they're just not five or ten project managers in every market that are just ready to go to work. You know, all those guys are working. Yeah, you you said a couple of things there. Uh, retention, you know, it, it's so difficult, and and you know, there's metrics around how much it costs to rehire and retrain, and you know. Uh, Anything with RE in front of it is more money, you know, anything right. you're yeah. doing. Um, you might as well say re-spending uh, right. what you're doing. So you, you mentioned some of the promises may be going unfulfilled. When when a person interviews with a job, they get a list of uh, their needs met, and then here's what the company's offering, and, and then somewhere in between they, they settle on what, you know, what works. Right. The concern, I think, and, and probably the um, the realization is that companies are so strapped. They wanted to offer that training to 
Tali or to Bob, but they're so dang behind man hours, they can't take time out of their schedule to offer the training that they committed to because they have so much darn work. Um, yeah. So it really gets to be a, a matter of, uh, and I think this goes to the culture again of prioritizing your your labor so that yes, all these jobs are important because we have to get them done and we're contractually obligated to do it or whatever. But I'm also obligated to fulfill my promises to who I recruited. And um, then that kind of goes into the culture piece of is the company doing what it says it will do? Right. And, you know, I look at this from both sides of the equation. Um, I don't run a company anymore. I watch a lot of companies, you know, that are being ran by my coworkers. And I also see the people who do want training. You know, they really want it. The people who get our industry really get it. Mm -hmm. uh, those at Coast are forever going to Coast. But there's a lot of high-performing people who want to do well. And it is aggravating when they don't get that two weeks or whatever the commitment was from both parties. I'm not sure yet how to solve that or if it, is it solvable in the short term it is, I don't know. That's just something that that's got to be addressed though, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts just with the initial, you know, prospecting of the position. I think, um, you know, as far as how companies go and advertise for positions based on job descriptions and skills-based needs, as opposed to, you know, more of a performance profile of what is this person actually going to be doing? What are the real job needs? And then basing the interview around, you know, that concept. And therefore you can use that performance profile that you develop on someone. You can use that as from the time, let's say they do get hired you know, to the three month review, to the six month review, to the year, year one and beyond, you know, nurturing of that candidate. Um, and therefore you'll all be on the same page. And I understand the part about the time and not, you know, we're just so busy and you guys are, you know, especially with, you know, probably not enough people to, to fill the, the roles and you need to do the work and well, who has time to go back and, you know, train this X, Y, Z on stuff we said during the interview. But I think, as far as how to solve it, one way may be just getting people um, on board with a performance profile of real job needs and then making sure we have touch points, whether it's three months or four months into the job and then six or eight, however we want to space it out. But at least you're touching on it. You might spend five minutes on it if we're all busy to bring that employee in and say, hey, I know we talked about this when you got hired. This is what's going on. You see, we're real busy. We may not got to it, but it's still on my mind to help you get in this direction. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get both sides, you know. I, I really do. Um, I don't know what the solution is, but it, I, I think to your point, you always keep it on the frontal lobe, and you don't you don't just not talk about the elephant in the room, you know. I mean, right. You got it. You got to stay in constant contact, and that goes back to the the relational side of employment, you know, being able to have those um, EQ centric conversations, not make it all about transaction, you know, like there's got to be more to it. And 
you know, the other thing I was thinking about the, this this weekend, I'm reading a really cool book right now. Um, it's an older book somewhere around here. Um, it's called Small Giants or something like that. Yeah, Small Giants, Bo Birmingham. Um, it, and it talks about why companies get big and, and how some companies choose not to overgrow uh, in order to maintain the culture of their company. Um, and that got me really thinking about that one-on-one -on -one conversation with each employee that you're able to have. So then I'm thinking about, all right, I work for a big company now, you know, pretty big company. How do we, you know, as an industry, make sure that our, our teams, our service teams, our install teams, how do we keep that communication and not let that circle get too big that you lose that intimacy of knowing that, you know, Gabby had a softball tournament this weekend and all four of her kids got kicked out for cursing or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, just having those personal relationships, especially with today's incoming workforce is super important. And I think we have to work to make sure that we keep our, our coach uh, leader to employee ratio a little bit lower maybe than we've have had in the past. So that you, you do have those lines of communication. What do y'all yeah. think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, you hit on, I mean, you know, I think it, go, it goes back to that prioritization and that time, you know, um, but I think what you said, as far as, you know, the incoming workforce, they, that's, that's what they're looking for in terms of the culture and the type of people they want to be around. I mean, let's face it, we're at work more so than sometimes we're even spending with our family. So the people that, that are directly around you are so important. And like you said, the, the interest in, you know, the kids uh, softball or soccer game or whatever, and, and really keeping up on, you know, that sort of relationship stuff, I think is important just because of the world we live in everybody, you know, we kind of share everything nowadays. <laughs> so we want to be part of that, you know, a community. Uh, and I think that's important. Abby, what? Uh, yes. <laughs> I swear I will quit saying Abby one day as soon as I don't talk to those other two Abbies. Every <laughs> I feel like I need so, to change my name at this point just to make well, it clear. <laughs> I, I don't call them Gabby yet, so I guess that's okay. But <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Abby, you, you know that we talk about this a lot. Um are are we again here's here's two guys that are older than you talking about your peers um are we on track with our thinking or, or are we missing it no i agree i definitely think that you know to blake's point especially you spend a lot of time at work um especially i want to say for when you start out too sometimes potentially you know more i know like when I started at market scale, I was like, everything on my to-do list needs to be done before I walk out this office. So I was leaving pretty late for someone with a, you know, first time job. And so I think that like, you know, you want to make that good impression on the company that you're working with and you want to show them that work ethic that you have and, and that drive that you have. And so 
you know, you're putting in your hours, you're at the company, you're trying to get to know people. Um, like I said, especially when you're new. And so the people that you're around and the culture that you're around is pretty much your life. You know, you go home and you get your weekends and your nights and things like that to spend time with your family or your friends or whoever. But, um, the majority of the time you're with the people that you work with and you're with the company that you work for. And so I think that it's one of those things where, and I know I've kind of said this in the past on some of our past conversations, that culture really is just that much more important, especially to my generation, because if it's kind of one of those things where I feel like in our minds, if we're going to be spending this much time um, and this much energy at a company and at a job, we want to at least be able to enjoy the people that we're around. You know, not every day at a job is going to be perfect. It's going to be stressful and you're going to have to put in the hard work to, you know, get the work done. But to have a culture and some colleagues that, you know, you can work with and laugh with throughout the day about something silly that happens or something like that, that just makes, you know, the days go by so much better. And it makes your environment that you're in so much easier to work in. And not only that, but it also drives your work ethic too. You know, when you have poor culture, you don't really want to put in that work and that effort. You know, you're doing the bare minimum just because mm -hmm. you have that job to get paid. But like when you have a, a positive culture and people that you really enjoy being around, you want to do well for not only the company, but you want to do well for your colleagues too. And that kind of really drives the work ethic even more and ends up further bettering that culture. Cool. Thank you. Blake, is that consistent with what, I mean, obviously Gabby's a high performer. She's 17 years old. She's running the company. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you, is her sentiment, you know, comparable to what you hear a lot now? Of, yeah, of, I would say, yeah. I mean, I would say it's right on and, and uh, you know, it's just uh, the culture fit is important. And in terms of, you know, that, that job satisfaction as a big factor and people staying motivated. Um, and really it, it kind of goes to the point of, you know, companies viewing the job and the culture um, from the point of view of a top performer um, and what they are looking for in, you know, in a situation. And, um, you know, it even goes back to the recruiting efforts in, in developing, you know, uh, a profile that is based on how top performers find jobs. Um, you know, most of the time, the best people in the market, they're not, you know, they're not, um, filling out applications they're not going to your website um and filling it out they're busy working they're busy working right they're busy working and being a top performer so how, how talk, talk some more about that because um you know one i feel like inside my head like tattooed inside my skull where y'all can't see it is the word <laughs> excellence because i always yeah. think about how do we get better what does you know you hear this term best in class how do you attract, how do you, how do you go after high performers who are already excelling and working at, you know, across the road? How, how do you, how do you attack that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's challenging, uh, one, just to get a hold of them. 
Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've joke with clients all the time that, that, you know, it, sometimes, I mean, I, I want to say even it might take eight months to a year just to get someone to get on the phone with you. Um, after trying to, you know, let's say, um, you know, reach out to them on, on a LinkedIn. Um, but as far as that, you know, how, how companies attract those top performers is, is I think it starts with one, trying to figure out how they look for a job, what would be attractive to them going on a job description and seeing that, you know, they need X, Y, Z degree, or they need, um, you know, these skills, uh, these requirements of the job generally isn't what, you know, the best look for. And it also eliminates a lot of people too, because they'll look at a job description and say, well, I can't, I'm not that person. Um, I can do five of those, but you know, I can't do six and seven. Um, so they eliminate themselves before they even get in a conversation. And then if you did get in a conversation with them, you may find out that they can do that and they have the success traits that um, people need to be, you know, good in the job. Um, so, you know, I think the first step is figuring out a way to find candidates based on how the best people look for work. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying recruiters are a big part of that, but what we do is we engage people in conversations um, about, you know, career moves that would make sense. Um, so you're getting to the attraction part on the company side. Selling lateral transfers is not a way to attract the best people. Yeah. Um, you know, companies have to be open to the fact of, you know, let's just say someone has been a project engineer for four years and they want to be a PM and a company is looking for a PM. They have to be open to that discussion to, you know, get that individual, um, get in front of that individual so that you know, they have access to a top performer, but that per person wouldn't necessarily fill out a job application because they would look at it or, or a, they would look at the job description and say, well, I haven't been a PM. I, I can't do forecasting and, and budgeting. I've done it, but I haven't done it to the extent of a PM, um, you know, would. So, um, you know, just being open to discussions uh, from people that, um you know, aren't necessarily exactly a, a lateral transfer and, and being someone that, uh, you know, wants to grow their career um, from the and, and taking that next. So you're looking for ways to help the advancement if that's what they're wanting, but they're not filling out the application because they're not there yet, basically. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they eliminate themselves based yeah. on they might have gone on your website and looked at the job description and said, I don't have this, but you know, I have a lot of them, but I just don't have these few and, and that that eliminates them. And, and then also just, you know, again, it gets back to the top performers don't generally aren't out there, you know, going on the job boards and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's definitely one of the most challenging because as a company, you're essentially getting um, the best who applied. Uh, it's not really the best who's out there. Yeah, the best of the rest. Right. So one, one, one thing that I'm curious about, um, do you see um, people being open to relocation more now or are they more resistant to relocation? What, what does that look like in the real world? Yeah. So um, interesting. So prior to, you know, the, the, the pandemic situation, 
almost no relocations. I mean, I, I might've had one, you know, out of three years, uh, before, um, after, I don't want to say it's 50%, but it's, it's high, uh, really? especially, yeah, especially where I work is my territory. We're a national company, but I, I handle the Western U S for us, including Texas, um, and California. It was first, it was like Seattle and, and, uh, Denver was kind of like interchangeable. People wanted to go, um, from one to the other. And then after we all got back in whatever, 2021, I can tell you, I, at least uh, I want to say half the people I talked with in California were telling me they wanted to relocate to other states. Um, definitely much more open. And so are the companies, too. Um, you know, logistically, as you know, there's a lot of moving parts to relocations. But as far as people being open to it, very open. Well, we, we've talked about it a little bit on the show before because of the age group that we've talked about this morning don't have a mortgage. Most of them have a rent payment at an apartment yep. or condo. And it's easy, easy to, you know, shake and bake out of that versus having to sell a home. You know, that I think that's just one more dynamic to that, to that piece. Um, because, you know, I think that not only people became attuned to relocation was not such a big deal during the pandemic, so too did the companies and you know you you okay so you're going to pay five ten grand to move somebody but that's cheaper than you know refilling that position three times until you get the right person yeah i mean i'm working on a position now that uh, the individual is in northern california and and you know in an estimating role and you know the company is is relocating them down to southern california and um, I think before, you know, 2020, it, it wouldn't even have been, you know, on the table. Yeah. Um, it just so happened to be a perfect fit. And the candidate was open to it right off the bat. But it, it's still it's, you know, it, it may go to that that older school mentality as well. Uh, you know, and, and even as you mentioned, you know, the last few years, uh, as far as like hybrid and remote work. That's something that comes up. It never came up prior to 2020, and, and it's it comes up quite often now um, that candidates are really looking for that, even though in our industry it's not really a thing anymore. Um, but I, th I, I do see in some positions that I think companies should be a little more open to it um, than they are. You know, there, there's so much that can be done remotely, but some stuff just can't be, you know? No, absolutely not. If, if you're... If, 100% admin and a project support role, okay, maybe. But if you need to have your boots on that slab, um, you got to be there. I mean, there's no way around it. So it's an interesting industry to be uh, trying to figure out the remote piece, uh, even in, you know, automation, building automation. Um, sometimes you just need to go to the darn building and walk around and listen and feel it. You know, I've Absolutely. Got a, you know, our, our senses are, are much smarter than technology. And um, you can look at a building on screen and it looks like it's performing well. And you walk down the hallway and it sounds like a damn tornado's in the ceiling. You don't get, <laughs> you don't get that off of a dashboard, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, with the controls and, you know, and that's one of the roles that I was kind of alluding to with, you know, 
you know, somewhat a controls engineer, you know, uh, an estimator, you know, not full, I'm not I'm talking fully. I mean, but I, I, I think what I'm getting at is the companies being open to, hey, you know, a controls engineer writing graphics and doing programming for a building automation system doesn't necessarily need to drive 30 miles every day into the office. Absolutely. Uh, you know, being open to one or two days, not. And in fact, um, we, you and I were talking before we hit record, Diversified, one of our companies in, in Southern California, a young lady uh, who works there uh, is a controls programmer, recovering field uh, controls technician. And she just had a baby two weeks ago, God bless her. But um, she worked her whole pregnancy uh, at home doing graphics, programming, you know, all the automation things that didn't require her to be on site. So uh, definitely, definitely are options. But, you know, flipping back over to what you said, um, in the old days, there, a, a guy would have said, yeah, you can have a job if you get your ass down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not going to give you money to move. Are you kidding me? But right, uh, right. That, that's turning tide, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think just companies are having to do it just because the market is so scarce within our industry. So I think they're having, I mean, they're forcing, you know, you have to be open to that. And, um, you know, I, I, what I what I was going to add to the remote side of things is we do hear it a lot, but we do crush it a lot on our end as well, um, especially when we we're talking with a project manager. You know, and and they want us to do. Rem they're like, yeah, you know, I'm really looking for a remote thing. I'm like, well, wait, wait a second here. You, you know, you got to how, how are you going to run a project remotely and not be on the job or at least going to the site, you know, on a regular basis to really see what's going on there. It's like, you know, so we do have to crush it a lot on our end, but it's definitely something that's come up, uh, you know, a lot over the last few years. Well, that that goes back to our uh, ability to learn and understand about what it really takes to run a project or a company. And, yeah. and until you see that side of it. It sounds cool, but you know, you, you gotta be there. People don't totally. want a job meeting being remote. Um, no. All right. So as we, uh, we're, we're coming up, we're climbing up on the uh, hour again. Um, uh, on I always look at the clock. Like now we're tracking up toward the top of it. Um, give us a little insight, Blake, as to what you see, uh, you know, coming for industry and, and recruitment and employment uh, the next, you know, year? What, do, what are you guys looking at? What are you thinking is going to happen? You know, I'm thinking it's going to be continuing the candidate scarcity market. Um, you know, what I hope to see, uh, what I'm personally trying to do uh, is to encourage the younger generation to get into the trades. Um, you know, men, women, um you know, I think it's important for us to get the word out to, to, you know, the, the kids in high school at, you know, even in college that, you know, there's an option here. Um, because I think within our industry, you know, you mentioned it earlier is that the, the industry, the demographic is, is the boomer demographic, you know? And, um, so I see as far as this next year, uh, us being very busy, um, right now, it's not a matter of having positions to fill or going and looking for certain people, you know, being the headhunter aspect of things. It's it's having people uh, to actually, you know, talk to and to fill those roles. I mean, I say it often, you know, if I had 
if I had five estimators right now or five PMs that I was working, I'd get them all a job, you know, this month. Um, so it's, it's that real scarce market, but I see it staying busy, um, which is great. Um, but what I hope to see year one, you know, a year from now and beyond is really getting the word out. And I think it is, um, just judging, you know, we're, we're both on LinkedIn and you see the stories of the kids getting the scholarship and, you know, going into the skilled trades and, and understanding that there's a big positive to it, you know, and, and hopefully that's going to continue, you know, this year and beyond. Well, there seems to be, you know, I, I talk to a lot of folks who are, are, for whatever reason, are, are trying to help. You know, some people are doing it from an altruistic, you know, internal drive. Some are doing it for that's their job. Some are doing it because they run companies and they have to have people. But there are a lot of people that are working on this initiative uh, in, in several different uh, verticals of how they're doing it. So I think the more, the merrier, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we've talked to, to other recruiting companies. We've talked to placement companies. We've talked to people who are, you know, in high schools doing career days. I mean, it's just kind of a, it's a little bit hodgepodge. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it that we're touching a lot of different things a lot of different ways. So I think it's good. Um, sometimes I think I wish we had a little more symmetry to what we were doing. But hell, who who am I to say? I mean, maybe this organic grassroots is the right way and it's going to work how it's supposed to anyway without me worrying about how it's going to work. But, you know, I think the more conversations we have, the better um, is you know, I've said it a million times, it's the kid at the car wash. It's the guy who got out of school and doesn't know what to do. It's the the lady who is worked in admin for four years and burnt out on that cubicle life. And I mean, there's just a lot of people out there. Yeah. Uh, there's the whole military piece. You know, we have a lot of Absolutely. people coming out that need uh, somewhere to go. And so I, I, First of all, I want to say thank you to you and NIT for what y'all are doing. Uh, yeah, you're, you're a dot-com company trying to make a living, but you're also doing good for the country, and I appreciate that. So, Well, thank, thank you. you. It's I love doing what I'm doing. Um, it kind of gets you know gets me back to my roots with my, my dad and my, my family growing up and, and being able to talk with these guys that you, you worked with when you were a kid and, um, you know, and to help change lives, you know, really help someone grow their career you learn about their them and their families and you know i'm i'm motivated by this and i want to go here and and there and you're helping that process out um and then and then on the company side stuff that i'm very passionate about is is being that strategic resource to help a company grow um and really you know providing them with people that are really going to make that happen so that's that's uh definitely what motivates me for sure, as far as doing what I'm doing, I love it. Well, good for you for doing it. Um, I, you, you said a word there that really struck me. I, I was at a factory a couple of weeks ago and the president of the company said that, you know, their, their job, they felt like was to enrich the lives of their customers, employees, and partners. And I thought, man, that's a cool word. You know, if you really yeah. look at it, that you're there really in a, in a servant 
way to enrich. And, and I, I just thought that was really cool. So I appreciate that word. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, some of the things that I really like doing is learning, you know, you mentioned some of the companies and what you guys are trying to do and, and really, you know, digging in deep um, with the company side of things to better understand not only their culture, but what they're trying to build. And then you're able to sell that to the candidate that I'm talking to, you know, more so than we got, you know, than a job description, what I'm able to sell that, you know, that vision that, the, hey, you, you might want to talk to this company over here. Or this is what they're trying to build. And it's kind of in line with what you're doing, too. Well, that gets right back to what we all like, which is the relational part, not just the transaction. You know, right. nobody, nobody wants to be a credit card swipe. You know, we all want to have a little bit of immersion into what we're caring about. And I yeah. think that speaks to that. So, well, Gabby, here we are. Um, we're, we're past our mark a couple of seconds. It would be on time had somebody not messed the camera up. <laughs> I know, right? It's I'm my fault. Names, but her, her initials are Gabby Barr. So. <laughs> but um, good way to start off, Monday, Blake. I really appreciate the conversation, uh, your insights, and, and you coming on and sharing that with us. And uh, just look forward to watching and, you know, continuing to participate however we can and help grow this thing. Absolutely. I really appreciate, you know, uh, us connecting and, and us making this happen. It's been great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. Please make sure to go subscribe to Apple or Spotify podcasts for more episodes just like this. And check out gregcrumpton.com for all of your Greg Crumpton content. Blake, thank you so much for joining us as well. Did you have any kinds of websites or socials or anything that you wanted to plug into the end of the episode as well? First off, thanks, uh, Gabrielle, to, uh, you know, to, to running this and keeping us in line. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as far as websites, uh, nitbuilds.com, B-U-I-L-D-S.com, nitbuilds. Um, and then, you know, my own social media presence, like I said, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I have, uh, you know, almost 10,000 followers there to where I try and promote the skills trades and, you know, do whatever I can to, to get the word out as far as this industry. Um, and that's really it. I mean, just, I'm on LinkedIn just by my name. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. <laughs>